Welcome to the Catching Health Podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, your own personal health reporter. When February rolls around, we think about Valentine's Day and love. But what about when love doesn't last, or it seems to be fizzling and you just don't know what to do? Should you try to keep the relationship going or put an end to it? It depends. And today's guest is going to help us sort things out. She's relationship coach, Dr. Erin Oldham. Welcome, Erin. Thank you so much. I'd like to begin by having you tell us, so what makes you an expert on the subject of relationships? That's a great question. Um, there's sort of two things I think about. One is book knowledge. You know, I have studied this for 20 years and have done a lot of research in this area, but a really important part of my experience is actually lived experience and what I've been through in my own life. I've actually been married and divorced twice which at first glance seems like a bad thing, but it's really, um, it's lent a lot of empathy and understanding of what other people are going through and given me a lot of perspective. And I've had, you know, in my 30s and 40s, I've had to really purposely develop healthy relationships and pay attention to what healthy relationship skills are. So it's just given me a lot of perspective. So it's both my research experience and my lived experience. Okay. Now I called you Dr. Oldham and it's yes. a PhD. It is a PhD. Okay. So before we start talking about ending the relationship, why, <laughs> yeah. why don't you tell us what are some of the signs of a healthy relationship? Yeah, um, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is kindness. It's such an important concept, like the ability just to think of nice things you can do for your partner, um, to be patient with your partner, um, to take that extra time to do a kind thing here and there, or even to say a kind word. So kindness is a really important part of a healthy relationship. Um, also, um, the ability to sort of step back and observe your partner and, and pay attention to what some of their needs are and, and to have sort of a balance between getting your needs met, but also paying attention to your partner's needs. Um, and a really important part, I think, of a healthy relationship is the ability to reset. Like when something's going wrong, the ability to step back and have some perspective and sort of think through that circumstance again. It was a couple um, couple days ago, and my daughter was sick, and she had the possibility of going back into the hospital. I was really stressed out. And my partner comes into the house, and I instantly criticized his um, dishwasher etiquette, that he hadn't started the dishwasher the night before and I didn't have any clean dishes in the morning. So I sort of said, you know, if we could really figure this dishwasher thing out, I need you to start it. And then about five minutes later, I was like, wait a second, I'm not mad at him for the dishwasher. I'm really stressed out because my daughter may be sick. So it's that ability to sort of step back and reset. And then I walked upstairs and I apologized to him. And I said, you know, I'm really stressed about my daughter and um, you know, it's not about the dishwasher and I'm really sorry that I yelled at you. So I think that's a really important part to acknowledge in a healthy relationship that things do go wrong, but you can reset pretty quickly and apologize for, you know, whatever's happening. And apologies are important. Apologies are really important. And I, what I say to my clients is, when you say you're sorry, you just say, I'm sorry. Like, that's it, that's the whole sentence. It's not, I'm sorry, but you really made me mad. Or I'm sorry, but 
I had a bad day. It's just, I'm really sorry that I behaved that way. I love you and I'd like to try again. So it's a really simple apology. You know, it sounds wonderful, but in the heat of the moment, it exactly. can be really like, challenging. You have to do lots of yoga to get to this place, but yeah. <laughs> do yoga together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is, it is, it's a skill. Like I think, I feel that we're not, um, I don't know, we're not always educated to know how complex relationships are. Um, you know, we when we're in our 20s, we don't have that much stress. So relationships feel easier as we get older, we just have more life stuff going on. Like we can't, you know, we're feeling stressed about money or work and that comes into play. And we actually need to strengthen our relationship skills over time, you know, to have those healthy relationships. And the other thing too, that I find especially challenging is when your partner has a totally different personality or way of viewing the world than you do. So you kind of have to work extra hard. Um, sometimes what, uh, the form of communication that works great for you doesn't work great for your partner. And uh, it, it can be exactly. pretty challenging. Exactly. And I think when I talk to people about what the, like the key thing that you can do in your relationship is building your awareness of yourself. So knowing, um, you know, when you tend to get angry, when you tend to get short, when you tend to shut down, and being really aware of that and then communicating that to your partner. And, and as you do that, hoping that your partner will start, start to communicate the same things to you. And I find with a lot of couples, I don't know why, but um, we sort of expect people to read our minds. Oh, yes. You know, we're hoping, you know, we have almost like a test. Well, I'm going to see if he or she realizes that I want flowers for Valentine's Day. And it's almost a test as opposed to sort of letting it be a kind gesture. So you know, a really easy relationship fix is to um, realize like what you're desiring and say it out loud. I would love, you know, Valentine's Day is, is not that big of a thing in my world, but I'd love like a small gesture, just so your partner knows. And then they have a roadmap and then they're much more likely to meet your needs. Absolutely. I, I think I learned that many years ago that um, you're just setting your partner up to fail in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. No tests. Don't do tests. <laughs> so just ask. Know what it is that you'd like and ask and ask it with kindness. Exactly, exactly. So most of us know when a relationship is not working, but it's easy to slip into denial because you want it to work. But are, are there any specific signs that we should pay attention to? Well, there's the, uh, there's the big ones, which is just if something is um, emotionally or physically abusive, um, you know, you do want to watch for um, someone who drinks too much or um, is controlling around money or controlling around who you're allowed to see. So those are like the big, you know, there's really something going wrong. And sometimes you can't see it. Like the person who's in it, if they've been in it for a long time, they have a hard time seeing that. So... When I work with people, you know, I'll hit people who say, you know, my partner drinks nine drinks a day, but it doesn't affect our relationship. And so I, I approach it with a very non-judgmental, okay. And then as they talk, try to repeat their statements back to them so they can start to hear themselves. So those are some big things. Um, and then otherwise, you know, I think life is long. You know, I think some people are just meant to have multiple relationships and that's fine. And some people want to do the 60, 70, 80 year relationship, that's awesome as well. 
Um, but when people are examining their relationship and wondering if they should get out, I encourage people to slow down. <laughs> it's easy to make um, quick decisions um, when you, you know, you're sort of set on, on doing something and changing your life up, but the grass is not always greener. So I try to get people to slow down and then look across a bigger segment of their relationship, like not the last month, not the last two months, but like look at the last year and what has that year really looked like? Are there moments in that year where you really see the kindness, you feel joy, you feel ease, and can you build upon that or is it or is, or is it gone? Like is, is there too much um, anger or you can't, you can no longer see the roses at all? Like it's just gone. So I encourage people just to slow down and look over a longer period of time. Now I was on your website. Oh yeah. And I read something about the four pillars of dis-ease that can sneak into a relationship. Yeah. Contempt, criticism, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Yeah. You know, the old eye rolling yeah. and you always do this or you never do that. Well, so I'm guilty of those big time. Me, and, me too. And, I'm a stonewaller is what I do. I just cross my arms and I say, I can do it myself. And that's my signal to myself that something's going wrong because I'm starting to stonewall. And the old eye rolling. Who doesn't eye roll? Yeah, exactly. I try like, <laughs> yeah. Just don't look at the partner when you're eye rolling. But <laughs> So when does that become a problem? If we're all doing it in our relationships, it becomes a problem when? Yeah, so those are from John Gottman, and he has a great book called um, What Makes Love Last. So if you want to read more, read. he's a fantastic researcher. Um, we do, you know, we all have, when we get moments of stress, we go back to some kind of uh, defense mechanism, whether it is, stonewalling, which I do, or, you know, criticism, which I've done as well. Um, so it's starting to be aware of it, like starting to, I use my, when I cross my arms and say, I can do it myself, that's a signal to myself that, that, that I'm getting defensive and I'm not helping the relationship. So it's really, it's all about, um, it, you know, observing yourself and knowing when you're starting to do it and, and trying to come up with a way where you can stop yourself. I was in a really, my second marriage was a very negative marriage. My first one was great. Second one was not so good. And we would ramp up. So I would get angry and he would get angrier and I would get angrier and he would get angrier. And nobody was, neither one of us was able to say stop and, and come back down. And we just had a really bad dynamic together. Um, but if somebody has to be able to say, you know what, I need to take a break. I'm not able to have a good conversation right now. I'm getting really angry and we need to call a timeout. So what John Gottman suggests is um, if somebody can say, can we please take a break, take 20 minutes, because it takes 20 minutes for your body physically to sort of come back almost to your senses so you can, so you're in the right, so your brain is fu uh, functioning again and that you can have a productive conversation. So you've got to figure out some way to take a break and get back to yourself so you can have a good discussion. And, and you say to take a look at your own behaviors. For, that's what you have to, you can't control, you know, my big thing is saying to people, you can't control other people's behavior. All you can control is your own behavior. But as you, we tend to mirror each other in our, in our interactions. So as you become calmer, like when I sit with clients, I try to be very calm and keep my voice calm. And that tends to keep the person who you're interacting with calm. So you can be aware of your own behavior change your own behavior. And in doing that, you may actually um, 
you know, your your partner may actually uh, be affected by that behavior change as well. So you believe we can change our behaviors? I, I do. I do. And I'm not sure I always believe that. But the more I've done research, like literally our brain um, does uh, change over time. And we can, um, just like we have muscles that we strengthen, you can, um, it takes longer to make emotional changes. Um but by becoming more aware, I think you I think you absolutely can change. Well, that's that's heartening. That's it's good, good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree because I'm glad that I've changed. <laughs> and I'm still working on it. Me too. <laughs> so how can therapy or coaching help? You're a coach. Yes, I'm a coach. I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm a coach. Um, and I do relationship coaching and divorce coaching. Um I think what it does, it provides, first of all, it provides a safe space. So it's a place where you can come and you can be yourself and say those things that you don't always say out loud. Um, and I, um, I think it's a good place to raise your own awareness. So what I do is when people are talking, I write down their statements and then I send them notes where they can see what they said. So hopefully that will allow them to see what they're saying. Because sometimes when people are telling a story, it doesn't all add up. So the point of like the coaching is to reflect back what the person's saying so they can, you know, does it make sense? Like, am I like, you know, should I be in this relationship? And, um, oh, you know, maybe that maybe I can change my behavior in this relationship since that's what I can control. But also like really good therapy and coaching actually teaches you new skills. And this is really important because talk therapy has essentially been proven not to work. Like you feel better right away, like right afterwards, but then there's no long-term impact. So you really need to focus on building skills. So, and, and some of the coaching um, will go over how you, how you approach having a really challenging conversation and then how do you phrase what you wanna say so you don't raise the defensiveness in the other person. Um, a lot of times when we say certain phrases we can trigger our partner into like instantly getting defensive or angry and it's starting to learn the skills of how you have a balanced calm healthy conversation do you teach people teach how people? to argue um how to argue nicely yeah in the sense that like absolutely we all get mad but if there are certain like learn it's learning like I remember working with one couple and what the man was saying is I don't want to be disrespected. And when you say that, I feel so disrespected. So it was just, you got to cut that out. Like if what you're saying is making someone feel disrespected, which is really important um, to what I found with men, then you got to shift that or change that. So what if only one partner chooses to do any therapy or coaching? Does that mean the relationship is doomed? That's a, that's a great question. And it does come into play a lot. I'll have, you know, people come in who are in a relationship and, and one woman recently wanted to work on her behavior. And I'm like, that's great. And absolutely start there. And then you can see if your partner shifts or not. But eventually, if you really want to um, uh, strengthen that relationship, you sort of do need two people in the room. Sometimes what I do is I'll meet with one um, for a session, meet with the other person for a session, and then meet with both. So, so each person feels really heard. They feel like I really understand and no one's interrupting them. And then they work together. And sometimes that can be successful. But it does, it's tough. When one person just refuses to come in, that's a little bit of a sign of, 
uh, of trouble. I mean, that's a little bit of a red flag when one person just refuses. Hmm. Although I've said to people, maybe they just don't like therapy. Like they don't have to go talk to it, but maybe like who do they feel comfortable talking to? Because some people don't believe in therapy or it makes them feel very uncomfortable. And that's, that's fine. Um, but who will they speak with? Or is there some neutral mediator, even like a family member you could, you know, go talk to something so that you can get some perspective. Right. Because you want both partners to feel vested in the relationship. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Both people have to have both feet in. Like, that's what I talk a lot about is like, you know, people, a lot of people have trust issues, especially if it's a second or a third relationship. Um, although we're all in our second and third relationships or 30th, whatever. <laughs> but so if you have trust issues, you know, coming back from just having lived life, um, sometimes people focus too much on like, well, I don't know what's going to happen 20 years from now. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know either. But what we do know is today, do you have both feet in? And that's what you're committing to. You're committing to for today, I have both feet in and I'm going to be kind as possible. I'm going to really listen to my partner. I'm going to express my needs um, and I'm going to be aware of my behavior. Um, and that so if you can almost focus on like a day to day and then see what that leads to. Does that lead to more trust or are you sort of still stuck in the same place? So how do you know when it's time to end it? How do you know? Um, it, it does. It does depend. And, and people struggle with this a lot. And what I say to people is, do you feel joy and ease? And like really reflect on your relationship, like where you feel times of joy and ease. And if it's been a long time and you feel no joy and ease and you've done your best, like you've really observed your behavior, really tried hard um, and it's just not there. You know, it's a it's a personal decision. Um, I do think it should be made uh, thoughtfully and, and slowly. Um, but you sort of have to examine your life. And, 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 and then the question is, do you want to be living that life? Because some people are, frankly, fine staying in a not-so-healthy relationship because they'd rather stay in than be out. And that's just a choice. And, and no judgment whatsoever. Absolutely, you know, if that's what you choose, that's okay. Um, so then I just say, you know, do you feel joy and ease? And then is that the life you want to be living? And if it's not, then make a choice to do something different. So sometimes both partners agree this isn't working Let's stay friends and get divorced. And other times they can get downright messy. Yeah, it's too bad, <laughs> but it's so easy to do. <laughs> Are there some examples that you can think of when um, that by naming what these examples are might help other couples who are contemplating so that they don't get into some of those messy situations? In terms of um, if people are uh, deciding to split, how they can do it well, or yes, yes. Okay, so this is you know it's so interesting. So when and there's um, a lot of research on this as well. I'm so fascinated by this, but sort of when someone is going through, um, you know, when you're going through a divorce, it doesn't just happen. It's happened over a long period of time. You know, two years previous, you had started to fight and started to not feel heard. And um, and then someone started sleeping on the couch. And then there was talk of a separation. And then divorce happened. Um, and then sometimes it's because of infidelity. And then that usually happens quicker. So, you know, it's really tough because during this time, it's sort of like a traumatic time. And frankly, during that time, you can't think straight. 
and you're making a lot of decisions that are um, that you wouldn't make on a on a on a uh, a day when you're not feeling traumatized. So during this time, you lose your impulse control, you lose your ability to problem solve. <clears throat> so you may be doing things like like getting you know online dating right away, even when you're not even divorced yet. Um, engaging in risky behavior, you know, fighting in front of your kids where you normally would never do that. You sort of lose that ability to have um, uh, like rational, logical thought. So one is go get a therapist or a coach, you know, just somebody to help you calm down and have perspective because you're going to need to be reminded to be really good to your kids because people, even the best of people, myself, others included, do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. Um, and I've seen people divorce really well and it's, it's hard to, remaining friends is pretty tough, but, but people can do it very respectfully. Like if they're, if they both feel like they've just changed over time, this is not the life they want to be living. And, and, you know, my first husband and I did it really well. We communicate, we sat down with the kids together and like during the separation and said, you know, mommy and daddy are really struggling and we've decided that we live better in different houses and we both love you so much. Um, but we've just decided we both live better in different houses like that. They were four years old. That's how we explained divorce to them. Um, <clears throat> so ideally, 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 but again, you, you know, it's really tough to stay in your right mind. Ideally, you're communicating to them along the way. Um, but then situations happen where someone's betrayed somewhere, someone else, and, and, and they're really angry at each other. You know, so if you're in that situation, I really just encourage you to get somebody from the outside to give you clear advice because you're not going to be thinking straight. Um, because you do need to still do the same things of communicating to your kids along the way. And the goal is to make kids feel safe. So we've kind of segued into a yes. divorce with kids, which I wanted to talk about next anyways. Okay. Um, so you mentioned how you told your kids the first time you were divorced. Uh -huh. Is there a best way or a best time to tell the kids? I just say early and often. So, and sometimes we're too far down the road and then we just need to do it whenever we get the courage to do it. So no, no blame, no shame, but, but as, but ideally it's just early and often. So you'd even want to like, imagine, you know, stuff happens before divorce. So there's fighting going on in the house. Um, someone's sleeping on the couch. So even at that point, I would, I know it's hard, but I really encourage people to, cause kids know. So you have to tell them most times when people say to me, should we tell the kids? I'm like, your kids already know. So you absolutely have to tell the kids because the kids pick up on energy. They pick up on that. There's, you know, attention in the household. Like, even if you're being quiet because you're ignoring your partner, your kids know that. So it's, it's not always fighting. It may be not talking or no longer going out to dinner or, you know, you don't have a vacation plan because no one's feeling like hanging out on a beach with each other. Um, so kids know. So, you, so it's just early and often. As soon as you recognize that something is going wrong, even if it's just getting therapy because you've been fighting a lot, saying to your kids, you know, mommy and daddy are really struggling right now. We've both been stressed at work and we've not been getting along that well. And we're going to someone to help us try to get along better. And by Acknowledging that kids then learn that we all need help and it's okay to get help for a relationship. 
I think I, it's important. I think that's wonderful advice. Wonderful advice. You know, so many times, don't kids get caught up in the crossfire? They're put right in the middle. Sometimes yeah. on, you know, the parents almost are doing it on purpose, and sometimes it's just the nature of what's going on. But what, what that must do to the kids? It's not, it's not good. Like if you really, if you're, okay, so a couple things, what the crossfire can mean. It can mean you're asking your son to say something to your father. Can you tell your father, you know, that I'm picking you up after piano lessons, whatever. So if you're having kids transport information, that's not okay. Like, you know, we need to be adults in these situations and just, even if we don't like our partner at that moment, talk to them anyways. So, or kids can be caught in the crossfire in terms of their hearing, fighting, and that can be really scary. And if we don't, well, what, okay, so a couple things can happen. One is it impacts what they think of relationships. So during those formative years, like especially the first five years, but even you know the first 25 years, we're learning what a relationship is and what it feels like and what love feels like. And we're learning about attachment patterns. So just think about, you know, if your kids are observing you and that's their vision of what a relationship is, they may not be, and, and it's in turmoil, they're probably not gonna be learning great relationship skills. And they're gonna take that right into their first relationships. So that's why it's really important to just acknowledge, you know, we're not doing that well right now, but we're getting help for it. Or mommy and daddy are gonna try really hard and um, I'm sorry that you heard us fighting last night. Um, it's not about you. We love you so much. And you know, that will never, ever change. And what I always talk about this, like nest, like kids need to be held in the nest and be safe. So that means they need to know what's happening next. What really scares kids is, am I going to have to move to a new house? Am I going to lose my bed? Um, will I still have my teddy bear at my new house? Will I lose my friends? Will I have to leave my school? So they're pretty egocentric as they absolutely should be. They just wanna know how is their world going to change? So it's really important to reassure them that you will let them know what's happening all along the way and will hold them in that nest and keep them safe. And that's through, it's just through communication. You just have to talk to your kids. And let them know that it's safe to ask whatever questions they want absolutely. to ask. Absolutely, and I and, and absolutely, and I think a lot of times we're I've been afraid to say that <clears throat> because when you say, "Do you have any questions?" they're going to ask you questions like, "Are you getting a divorce?" You know, um, "Is Daddy going to be leaving? Is Mommy going to be leaving?" And so you have to be prepared to say, like, pre-prepare. You know, they're going to ask the questions to say, "You know, I don't, I don't know if we're getting a divorce." We're working really hard on our relationship. That's fine to say to a kid. Um, so you want to make it a safe environment that they can talk to you and you want to be prepared for their questions and you can come up with a, you don't want to come up with lies necessarily, not lies, but you can come up with a developmentally appropriate response, which may not be given. You don't want to give them all the detail. Keep it simple. Mommy and daddy need to live in different houses because that's where we feel the best. Like that's a, you don't get into the nitty gritty. You tell them, you know, you come up with a story that's uh, truthful, but simplistic. And mommy and daddy need to be on the same page. Mommy and daddy need to be on the same page. And if at all possible, sit in the same room while telling them, you know, and and pre talk about it ahead of time. You know, what, what do you want to say? What do I want to say? Um, and this is the time to stand up and, and be an adult and um, to not denigrate each other. 
um, and to agree to be on the same page. So did you learn any lessons <laughs> the hard way? Oh, I learned so many lessons the hard way. Um, oh, it's so interesting. So I'm 46 years old. Um, and my first relationship was an 18 year, you know, we met at 17 relationship. Um, and then my second relationship was a total rebound, a rebound marriage is what I call it. Cause it just, I did it quickly. I got married within a year. It was a really bad idea. Um, so yeah, so I basically learned all the lessons the hard way. Um, but through that, I think my strength is observing myself. So saying, this is what I did last time. I was pretty immature. You know, I was very impulsive. Um, I was just determined that I wanted to live life my own way. And, and I wasn't able to compromise as much. I feel like now what I've gained is patience, more awareness, um, not looking for perfection, you know, understanding I'm, in fact, it's really empowering to say, I don't want perfection because I don't want to be perfect. It's, you know, so that it gives me a way of being myself and allowing my partner to be their selves. And that's a much happier place to be. Right. So some people will decide to stay together for the sake of the kids. Yeah. And then they go and get divorced when the kids are in college or whatever. What do you think of that? Oh, I know. I don't love it <laughs> because and the reason why I don't love it, it's a nice thought, but kids know. So if, if you're living in a household that the love is gone, where either people are ignoring each other, not talking to each other that much um, or fighting, or maybe they've just started to live different lives, um, the kids know. So it doesn't really help them to wait. And so if you think about the age when kids leave, so, you know, they're about 18. That's such a critical time for forming relationships. So if what they learn is you live in a loveless relationship um, or you hide things, you're sort of, I mean, I think it feels like a lie to kids. Like it feels like you hid something from you. You weren't honest with me. And so if they learn to bring that into their relationships or they just, and I think they get, I don't know, I've seen that happen and I've rarely seen it happen in a good way. Like the kids end up being really angry. Like, why didn't you just tell me or be honest? Yeah, I don't know. I don't right. love it. <laughs> so in those situations, maybe the parents are more apt to just carry on as if nothing's wrong. Or they wouldn't have sat down and had the conversation. Look, Daddy and I are having problems, but we've decided to stay together for you. Well, and if you if you really can have that conversation and truly be kind to each other in that home and you've and you've if you want to do that, that I suppose could work. Although if you can do that, you should probably just make your marriage work, um, you know, because there's going to be something that's missing in a home where people have are just staying just for the sake of the kids. And it's not I think it's I don't know. I prefer again, like no judgment. People can do it and and maybe they do it well. Um, but I just prefer honesty. And I think uh, being forthright about the fact that relationships do take intentionality. Um, I don't like to say work necessarily because the work should, you know, um, the work somehow becomes fine. It doesn't feel like a big burden, but it does take intentionality um, in a relationship. I just don't, I don't think it saves, I don't think it ends up saving much except for people's denial. Like it allows you to live in denial for a while, but it doesn't, I'm not sure it helps anybody. Hmm. A quick question about um, 
the arrangement if there is a divorce for the kids, you know? Oh, yeah. Does that depend? I, I, I guess it depends on a lot of... <clears throat> I guess it depends on a lot of different things, but, you know, this week at mom's, next week at dad's, always yeah. at mom's, visitation... You want to have, you know, ideally you're looking for um, a situation where both parents can be actively involved. Um, you know, if you go to um, what the courts are looking at when they're looking at uh, establishing schedules is for younger kids, they want them to move around less um, so that there's really more of a prime. And that by younger, I mean like less than two. So there's really for babies, you know, and toddlers, um, that there's really a primary place there they are. And then they sometimes are going to the other person's house. Um, as the kids get older, like my kids, when they were sort of five until recently until 14, we did what's called a five, five, two, two schedule. So they're, um, somebody has Mondays and Tuesdays, somebody, the other family has Wednesdays and Thursdays, and then they, do every other weekend. So you have to gain five days at your house, then five days at dad's house, and then two days at mom's house, and then two days at dad's house, and repeat. And then now, as my kids are um, 15, we just decided this year in, in ninth grade to do seven, like a week on, week off, because that way they can finish their homework during the week, they can really settle in, you know, they're old enough that they can go seven days without seeing their dad or without seeing me, um, and uh, their dad and I, you know, we transitioned them into that, got them ready for it. By the time we did it, they were totally ready. We were totally ready. And it's, uh, it seems like a good arrangement. Well, good. So unfortunately, I think we're out of time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and to wrap things up, I think we all prefer happy endings. We want to believe in and celebrate Valentine's Day. But if someone's relationship is feeling rocky, what steps do you recommend he or she take? So, okay, so one, uh, ob observe, really observe that relationship. Look for, are there any strengths you can build on? Like, where do you feel joy and ease? And if you feel it anywhere, build upon that. Like maybe it's on Sundays when everything's calm and no one's thinking about work, that's when your relationship feels good. Build upon your relationship if you can. Um, look at your own behavior and, and Think about if there's anything you can shift in your own behavior and become like if you are a you tend to criticize or be defensive or be passive aggressive, whatever, recognize it and try to change it. Um, and then if you feel like you need perspective, then go to a therapist or a coach and, and get that perspective. All right. Well, thank you, Erin. And I hope you have a happy Valentine's Day. Oh, thank you. I've been talking with Dr. Erin Oldham. She has a Ph.D. in psychology and is a researcher relationship and divorce coach and mediator. You can find out more about Dr. Oldham and read her blog at localflamesmaine.com. And that's Maine with an E on the end because Maine is where you'll find her. I'm Diane Atwood, and you've been listening to the Catching Health Podcast. Thank you. If you have any comments or questions about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for future podcasts, send me an email, diane at dianeatwood.com. You can connect with me on Twitter, at Catching Health, and Catching Health is also on Facebook. For more health reporting that makes a difference, visit catchinghealth.com.